You're listening to GNU World Order, episode 43 of season 13. Hey everybody, my name's Klaatu, and I'm back in New Zealand. That is, back after a trip to the United States, to um, North Carolina, Raleigh, to be specific, for the All Things Open conference. It's a pretty neat conference. I gave a talk there about Flatpak. Thanks especially to Alexi, who emailed me back in February, I think, of this year, a couple of times with great information about flat packs and really kind of got me started uh, really looking even deeper into flat pack than than I had in the first place. So he he doesn't know it, but and he may ne- not hear this. I don't know if he's he's listening right now, but thank you, Alexi. That was very very helpful information. Um, I benefit a lot from this show from people's feedback, and I feel a little bit selfish sometimes because I feel like I'm learning so darn much from everyone who emails me, and then I don't know that I really have the opportunity to acknowledge that all the time. I mean, you as listeners can email me. That's easy. Decentralized target, targeting a a centralized entity. That's pretty simple. But for me to express gratitude to you is a little bit dicier because it would be, I guess, difficult to fully express that to each and every one of you who has ever contacted me in any way. So I'm doing it now. I'm saying thank you for 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 talking back to this show and uh, teaching me all manner of things, really. So that is sort of over. The All Things Open conference is over, and it was a really good conference. I learned a heck of a lot. There are so many talks there that it's, well, it's, it's one of those uh, embarrassments, what is it, embarrassment of of wealth, I guess. You, you you go there, and and this happens at every conference, obviously. There are just so many tracks, so many talks to listen to, and half the time I just, I find it almost easier in a way to just find a room and camp out in it. And that way you don't have to make any choices. It just all happens for you. It might not be the best choice. You might not be getting all the talks that you really want to to hear, but when faced with so much choice, sometimes it's it's almost easier to just make no choice and just randomly select a comfortable room with a power supply nearby and and camp out there all day. And that that is one of the ways that I've been able to to get a really good diverse uh, sampling of of what's available at at different conferences. Now this time I was actually working the conference. I was at a booth, so I didn't get a chance to see really probably half of the talks that I would love to see, but still, very good conference, highly recommended. Okay, so that's that's good, that's over with. I'm back in New Zealand, so my schedule, in theory, will start to stabilize a little bit, not that you necessarily knew that my schedule had not stabilized. I, I kept up with the episodes pretty, pretty effectively, which is great. Um, but what I do want to do is catch up on listener feedback, and some of you may have noticed that I've not been great at responding to all the listener feedback. I mean, I've I've tried to respond at least nominally, but there are a couple that slip through the cracks. So I want to talk about some of those right now. One of them is from Robert, and Robert says, he says, I run nothing but open source software. Do I qualify? Oh, (laughs) that's funny. Um, So he says, I run nothing but uh, open source software. And then he did a joke that doesn't really, it won't, it won't translate well if I just read it out loud here. So it was it was cute. Um, and he says, I have a Raspberry Pi attached to my TV, which is state-of-the-art, but I've got the internet disabled as, a value, as I value my privacy, and I don't trust it, as I figure it probably reports back everything I watch to LG. 
who I do not know. So instead, I have an old Pi, which is painfully slow running OSMC for Kodi. Within this, I use MB, that's E-M-B-Y, which I've actually never heard of, to stream and transcode content from my workhorse, which is um, a home-build i3 system that I recycled from old parts I had lying around, but it does the job. That's pretty cool. Um, it sounds pretty... This is Klaatu again. That, that It sounds pretty... Um, yeah, pretty patchwork, but that that's pretty pretty freaking cool. And then he says, uh, the workhorse is running Mint 19.2, and this machine, in, in addition to being used as an MB server, EMBY server, is basically where I design and generate G-code for products I intend selling in the not-too-distant future. I mostly design an Inkscape for 2D objects with plans to further my understanding of FreeCAD for 3D and the G-code I generate is generated through G-code tools, but mostly I use part cam as I find it quick and easy for G-code generation, but does but it does have its quirks. For simulation, I use Kamotics, that's K-A-M-O-T-I-C-S. For 3D G-code generation, I will probably use PyCam, as I have had success in the past. The business machine that controls the CNC via parallel port is an HP Compact P4. I think I paid... Uh, 40 British pounds, which was still too much as every OS I've run on it has been so slow, even with SSD. Wow. Initially, I was running Linux CNC on Debian 7, then switched to 9, then Mint Mate, or Mate. I've just re- recently managed to get Linux CNC running on top of Linux MX, which I am surprised no one else has thought of, as I couldn't find a guide, and I will be sticking with this setup as it's perfect, with no issues so far. It's currently installed on HDD as a test. If it proves its worth, then it will be installed to the SSD. I intend to buy another CNC machine if my business takes off, and will be running this off GRBL on Arduino once I have, or will recycle a Pi for Universal G-Code Sender, or I could just buy another parallel port card and run from the from the single PC. Oh, and there are two new websites I am operating, both using WordPress, with the images designed in both Inkscape and GIMP. I've used literally thousands of open source software over the years, some of which have gained traction, others which have died uh, died off. My reason for sticking with open source is simple. Cost. Since they are free, there is no barrier to entry. I learned my lesson. As a kid, I used to spend fortunes buying PC Mag just for the free software, only to suffer buyer's remorse when I found the software was usually no good, older versions of commercial software given away for free, crippled with adverts and a lack of functionality. I think it was at this point I started looking for alternatives. The beauty is, if there is a commercial product available with a highly sought-after feature, then it's only a matter of time before it makes its way over to the open-source community. So all you need is patience. So I think this is a fantastic little story, um, and this is kind of exactly what I wanted to hear about you know these origin stories for Linux users. I think it's it's endlessly fascinating to find out how people get to the 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 place of using Linux in a serious and dedicated way. And I think in on one hand that there are lots of similar. You know, it all kind of boils down to I don't know the same three or four or eight basic elements. One of one of them or or, or a combination of them, but the Decoration around that is often quite unique and really interesting to hear how people got to that place. And I think with a lot of them, you can kind of see yourself in the story as well. You kind of you, you see something that you can identify with, which is fascinating. 
I mean, even this story, buying PC Magazine, uh, looking for the free software on the on the bundled discs. Not everyone will have had that experience necessarily, but for those of us who have, it's it's quite familiar. The, that that feeling of standing in the store thinking, okay, I'm going to spend the, the 20 bucks or the 25 bucks or whatever it is to get this magazine because I see that it comes bundled with some software and that software really seems like what I need to further my career or to, to learn that trick that I want to, to use on my next project or whatever it may be. And and you, you're, you're thinking and really hoping that you're getting somehow a good deal because you know that similar software off the shelf Normally, it's going to cost you $300, and you just can't afford that. So you go and you get this magazine, and you're really hoping that somehow the little demo app on the on the disc is going to be good enough to get you through what you need to 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 learn. And and inevitably, it's either something that well, you know, that that someone has has valued appropriately. In other words, it's something that's not very good and so they they feel fine about giving it away on a on a disc on a on a magazine or it's a, a it's 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 stripped of of many of its features because they know that or the the idea is that you'll you'll fall in love with with some aspects of the software and then decide, "Okay, well, I can spend I'll I'll have to spend $300 and so on." And and ultimately it just kind of ends in this sort of contentious, resentful feeling for this software that 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 kind of seemed to be promising but in the end only disappointed you and and no one leaves that deal very happy and yet many of us kept coming back to those magazines thinking that maybe this one this one will have the stuff that I need and it just it 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 was never a super satisfying feeling for for many of us and I'm sure there are there are exceptions there were good things about a lot of those magazines and there were things that we discovered from those magazines that that did work out and so on and i'm sure that you could also say the same thing of of open source stuff you know i mean you you could buy a magazine and get open source software on on the cd and and ultimately be disappointed at at the features that it didn't have or the the way that it worked that you weren't that wasn't familiar to you or or whatever the case may be so there's you know frustration and and trying to find that right tool is is a shared experience we've all we've all been there whether it's from a magazine that you bought off the shelf or a site that you found through way too much research and finally downloaded the thing and and only to discover that it's just not what you need or you just can't get your mind around it or whatever but when it's when it's closed source and you're spending money on it and it's disappointing it kind of hurts a little bit more because it's separated you from something that you've worked for and speaking of money i think that p- part of the part of the the problem here is is that the the closed source software we're talking about money there is literally as as robert says a barrier to entry there's a hard barrier to entry there's no negotiation really this is this is a product and you are expected to pay for the product and no matter how much the company claims to really just want to surprise and delight you and to make your life better and to improve your family relationships and all the other wonderful things that companies claim that to, to be the the very reason for their own existence ultimately it is simply a business deal it is something that you you give them money for the product and they give you the product and if you cannot continue to pay for the product 
uh, either for the updates or nowadays literally for a subscription service half the time, then you don't have access to that product anymore. They're not that concerned about your family relationships. They're only concerned about it as long as you can pay. And there's there's something kind of revealing in that and a little bit disappointing, to say the least. And so the open source methodology is it's kind of nice because um, the sentiment is real. The sentiment that we we actually do want you to have this software. That's like real because if you do pay for it at all, you literally bought the the code you you have the thing you have all of the stuff that you need now i think a great example of that is slackware uh, yes i'm biased but but slackware you you pay your 49 bucks or whatever it is for the the dvd you get sent the dvd or you download it from the internet and you have everything that you need to essentially re-implement slackware you've got all the build scripts you've got all the source code you've got everything that went into building the product and you own it forever if if the software industry shuts down tomorrow, you have that. You have the OS and everything required to build that OS right there on the DVD. There are exceptions to that. There's a guy who's building Slackware from source on LinuxQuestions.org. It's it's quite interesting to follow along with his progress. And there there are snags here and there where you, in order to build it, you kind of need to to build it on an existing Slackware. It's one of those weird things where apparently it's really hard to do. Uh, if you're not, I mean, like literally building it from scratch is difficult to do. So there are some some quirks here and there, but the 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 point being that you've got you've got the full you've got the bootable OS, and then you've got the tools that you need to re-implement, and that's huge. It's a big deal, and it's really really remarkable that open source is able to provide that. And to me, it's remarkable that people are able to resist that. For me, that's such a key feature of open source that that you own the software and that you're only paying for what you what you get forever you pay once and then you own the thing forever whereas really when you turn that around i think there's no other way for the relationship to go but toward resentful i just don't understand how how you could ever appreciate closed source software after paying for the product and then seeing that the company doesn't actually care about your level of success with that product at least with open source, at least if, if no one cares about it, then then that is stated. And for someone to care about it, you can throw money at someone, at some consultant somewhere, to help you through something. It's not always a smooth process. Not everyone has that set up, but it does exist. And there are independent consultants out there who are as open source as anyone else, right? I mean, there's no, as I've said in episode 1337, there's no centralized authority in open source. So anyone who knows it can be the expert to help you through your next project. And I mean, I myself have made uh, a fair amount of money uh, doing exactly that. So there you go. Um, So thanks, Robert. That was a very thoughtful and insightful origin story. I really, really... um, really enjoy reading that sort of thing. I think it's endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Okay, and I have another one here from Deep Geek. And Deep Geek largely told me what I already know, which is that there's a website out there called catb.org. That's C-A-T-B.org slash jargon. That's the jargon file. It's by Eric S. Raymond. And here's what Deep Geek said. Several episodes ago, you discussed the term magic cookies on one of your 
the New World Order episodes, and I thought about emailing a link to you for the jargon file, aka the Hacker Dictionary, as I thought it would be help. Uh, it would be helpful. I should have done that. It seems you are covering similar ground as Eric S. Raymond has. Raymond is the current maintainer of the jargon file, and it can be browsed here. That's catb.org/jargon. Since he has his HTML source online. Uh, I used to ma- it to make an EPUB with Caliber. If you want it, I can send you a copy, but it's quite large. He also published How to Be a Hacker at catb.org slash tilde slash ESR slash, I mean rather tilde ESR slash facts slash hacker dash how to dot HTML, which seems very pertinent to your last episode. And I think my last episode in context of this email would have been 1337 actually. So, yeah, I mean, I knew I knew about the cat B jargon file that that um, that I've referenced before. I'm, I'm sure of it. And uh, it, it is a good one. Yes, I, I agree. That's a it's an important one to kind of keep tabs on, not necessarily because it represents any kind of authoritative ruling on anything at all, but it does represent a history. And that's. That's something, uh, it, and it is a history. It is the history as written by I don't know whoever started the jargon file, and and then obviously lately by Eric S. Raymond, who is who is maintaining it. So it's it's history based on on his or on their you know on on, on the people who wrote it, on their experience and on their view of things, uh, and and that's really really a valid thing to to keep track of. I think it's quite quite interesting the um how to be a hacker document rings true this is really good stuff um i think i i feel like i have probably read this before it's it feels vaguely familiar and this is very much in the vein of what was that book uh by um michael gian i'm not thinking of the name but it's linux and the unix philosophy is the title of the book and i don't have it in front of me so I, i can't can't think of it. It's Mike. I can see the name in my head, and I cannot. I can't seem to um, to spit it out. But anyway, it's a great book. You should read it. And it, it's a little bit, in a way, similar to to this. Only this is more focused, I guess, on on really sort of generic hacking rather than specifically Linux and the Unix philosophy. But it, it's got H2s like the world is full of fascinating problems waiting to be solved. No problem should ever have to be solved twice. Boredom and drudgery are evil. Freedom is good. Attitude is no substitute for competence, and so on. So it kind of goes on like that. And it's if you look at it, I mean, there are some things that are are a little bit maybe too specific to, um, you know, I mean, anything saying, well, here's how to do this thing is obviously, in, especially in open source, I mean, there's no way for it to truly sort of encompass all of our all of our our feelings on the subject so there are some things here that that probably get a little bit too specific for for everyone to say yes this is me and this is this is exactly my answer to that question but uh it is nevertheless a really good document that kind of sums up a bunch of similar thoughts i think um about about the the question of well how can i be a hacker how can i become a hacker that sort of thing um I mean, even this, like, how do I, how do I tell if I'm already a hacker? Ask yourself the th- following three questions: Do you speak code fluently? Do you identify with the goals and values of the hacker community? Has a well-established member of the hacker community ever called you a hacker? If all three of those questions can be answered as yes, you are already a hacker. 
no two alone are sufficient. I, I just feel like that's a little bit... I, I feel like that's has a well-established member of the hacker community ever called you a hacker. Well, how do you how do you ensure that? How do you do you have to just ask them outright? Will you please call me a hacker now? You know, I mean, like that feels weird to me. But either way, the file's interesting. It's a good read. You should probably read it. So that's uh, at catb.org. It's an interesting site to kind of crawl around on. It's it's got a lot of stuff to it. I think that's all the listener feedback that I'm actually behind on. I've got a couple of others here, but they're they're not necessarily all that interesting to read. I mean, because they're very directly to me and require an answer from me, uh, and it's not really of general interest. So, yeah, I think that's everything. I think that's everyone I forgot. I'm probably forgetting somebody somewhere off of Mastodon or something. But ideally, I've, I've responded to them privately anyway. So um, let's take a coffee break. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about freesvg.org. Ideally, you have coffee right now and are enjoying it. I wanted to talk uh, about a site called freesvg.org, and this is kind of um, close to home for me because I had a, I had a, I wasted several days of my time kind of dealing with the fallout from from what this freesvg thing solves. So very specifically, there was a website, and I was a a, a pretty ardent supporter of this website, and it was called openclipart.org. And sometime in May, the site sort of disappeared. It just kind of fell offline. The you, you could go, I think, if I recall correctly, to the domain, but there was nothing there. And this went on for a couple of weeks. Now, this had happened before. This wasn't something that was completely new. This had happened uh, in the past. So you just kind of assume that, okay, well, it'll it'll come back online. It'll get fixed. There's something unexpected happened, an update went wrong, or someone went in and, you know, screwed something up, and, and they just need to revert the, the code base, and, and it'll be back. But this time it didn't come back. It was gone. Openclipart.org was a website for free SVG uh, clipart, really, and, and clipart is a pretty broad definition. Um, I think most of us think of clipart as those funny little things that you find on those old CD-ROM collections, you know, like six CD-ROMs full of 3,000 cliparts, and you open it up, and they've got the obligatory uh, holidays, they've got all the trees and the hearts and the pumpkins and things like that, and then they've got the other CD of all the business stuff, and you've got all the obligatory office life kinds of things, you know, people buy the water cooler, people buy the coffee maker, a coffee maker, and so on. And then you've got your sports disc, and you know, you know the collections that I'm talking about. You can still find them sometimes if you go to a, a thrift store and and look in their computer section. You know they'll they'll inevitably have 
some collection of, of free clip art, royalty-free clip art. And I think probably other things shipped with clip art as well, like office suites and things like that, or design applications, like desktop publishing things. They always came with clip art. So I think, in a way, a lot of us think of clip art as that little cheesy iconography for common, commonly required communications of, of any sort, whether it's whether it's a relationship in your life or office life or or a thing that you're trying to broadcast to other people around the neighborhood, clip art. Open clip art became a lot more than that, though. I mean, you open a site to the internet and say, submit artwork, then you're obviously bound to get a lot of other stuff. And a lot of other stuff it did get, and I used to use it all the time. The card game, I, I designed a card game at one point, no, I shouldn't say that. Sorry, I re-implemented a card game. It was by Kenneth Raman, and the, it's called uh, it was called Dark Cults it's from the 80s. I think I've I've talked about it. I think on Hacker Public Radio. I don't think I've mentioned it here, but and I won't go into the specifics. It's a great little game. I probably need to look at the build system again because I, I think that the build system's a little bit messed up. But um, it's a print and play because it's someone else's stuff. I couldn't. I can't, you know, sell it or sell copies of it, but I can distribute a reimplementation of it for free. So if you go to GitLab, you'll find it. It's called my my version of it is called Dark Occult, and all the cards of the, from the original game from the 80s, it was um it was art by by the creator of the game, Kenneth Raman. But my version, um, I couldn't once again, I couldn't just use someone else's copywritten art. So for my version, I just found similarly styled art on open clip art and used that for you know 106 cards or whatever it is and that's just the beginning i mean i've used open clip art for all manner of things really so it was and i've submitted quite a lot of artwork to open clip art as well so it was kind of something that i that i kind of felt that i think i'd gotten introduced to it in the first place by the fedora project and this a lot of the art team on fedora project had been submitting artwork to open clip art so i kind of fell into it that way and so it was something that I figured would always be around. Now I also figured that it was something that many people maintained. I got, I had the impression, and and initially I guess that impression was correct, that many people were behind this website. But as the years wore on, apparently the maintainer of the website sort of forgot to mention to anyone that that no one else was maintaining the site. It was literally one person. And this was never made clear to anyone. And so I think that the, the the first lesson to learn from the debacle that I'm describing, which is the loss of openclipart.org, the first lesson is that if you are a maintainer of anything and it is starting to overwhelm you, then say something. Unfortunately, that's not a guarantee that that's going to solve the problem. But if you don't say anything, then it's definitely not going to solve any problems. So say something. This relates to something that I realized many, many episodes ago now, seasons ago, when the, um, well, it was, I remember it, I think to this day, it was uh, DistroWatch, Distro the, the website DistroWatch had a podcast that was being done by a community member of DistroWatch. And he would go through and read the news and sort of the site updates and, and so on. And I remember way back when, this was way back in like 2010 probably, I used to listen to this show every week whenever it came out. And I just thought, this is such a great service. This is really, really great. 
and I thought I should email this host. I think his name was Bruce. I should email him and tell him how much I appreciate this. And every time I thought that, I thought, well, don't be silly. He probably gets 30 emails a day about how great his show is. So I'm not going to add to that noise. It, it it doesn't serve any purpose for me to email him. I'll just continue to, to listen to the show. And sure enough, at some point, again, probably this was probably back in 2010 or 2011 or something, at some point, maybe even earlier, um, at some point he stopped making the show. And wouldn't you know, at the very last episode, the day he signed off, he said specifically that he wasn't really sure anyone was listening to it or getting anything out of it. And boy, didn't I feel silly. Um, that hurt a lot. And it taught me a lesson. And it taught me that if you appreciate something, you should tell someone that you appreciate it. And similarly, if you're the the maintainer of something and you need help, then you should you should broadcast that you need help. So both sides of the fence. If, if there's something that you need, then you, you, you kind of owe it to the other side to mention it. Now, again, there's no guarantee that that's going to resolve anything. It doesn't mean that just because you put up your hand and say, hey, I'm kind of drowning here, that anyone's going to throw you um, a life saver, whatever they're called, the thing that the float thing. It just, you know, that's uh, sadly, that's not necessarily how things work not not because people don't care but maybe because you're just not reaching the number of people that you you need to reach to get that response or or maybe you know whatever maybe someone is listening but they don't feel like they have the skills or the ability to help you in any way so it just kind of it depends but at least mention it so that's lesson zero i guess communicate openclipart.org disappeared it was down for several months Rumors started to surface um, about why it was gone. There were a lot of different stories being told about it, uh, some from the same source, so conflicting stories from from the same source. For instance, um, some people claimed that it was a a denial of service attack. Someone else claimed, or, or there was another claim made that there had been an identity theft happening. There was another claim that actually nothing was wrong at all and just some technical technical maintenance was was under underway there were a lot of different it was very it's very unclear to this day really what exactly happened and as of this recording there is um sort of a this sort of front page on openclipart.org saying that it is in maintenance mode and protected and that they welcome love and sharing of clipart and then there's this donate button um to so that you can donate to the project although there's not really any um indication of of what kind of level of support they need to get things back online so there's no goal it's just this sort of hole that you can shovel money into if you feel like it um and i think that there's an implication here that if you donate you get access to the site and that's incorrect so that's kind of confusing it's sending a lot of confusing messages to people and then finally it says show love on twitter which um is difficult if you don't have a twitter account first of all um, it also doesn't quite define what love is. It says show love on Twitter. I'm not really sure what that means, to be honest. And then follow at OpenClipArt for updates, and and then an email address, love at OpenClipArt.org. So it, it's very unclear as to what's going on with that site. And at some point, um, six months into the into the absence of OpenClipArt.org, um, some people, including Robert, the guy who emailed me 
earlier um, from th- th- that I read the email from earlier in the show. Um, some people decided to start looking for other options. Now, I myself attempted one of the to, to create an alternative. I I discovered um, through some other people that you could scrape open clip art. So initially, I scraped open clip art by um, scraping archive.org. And that rendered about 17,000 images, which was good, but openclipart.org claimed that they had over 100,000 images. So a 17% success rate was pretty dismal. Now, technically speaking, it was a lot more than that, but I didn't know it at that time, and and you'll see what I mean momentarily. Um, So eventually it came out that you could actually scrape openclipart.org, provided that you knew the the, the direct URLs of of the clip art that you are scraping and so i realized that there was the ability to just do a wget mirror of the directory containing all of the images and that seemed to work pretty well and i got a hundred thousand images turned out that forty five thousand of those images were all the open clip art logo that's all it is um so their claim of having a hundred thousand clip art images was a little bit inflated because 45,000 of those images were the same image. So in the end, it's about 55,000 images that I was able to scrape from openclipart.org, and I posted it into a GitLab repository, which isn't a really great way to distribute these things. Um, And a lot of people said, oh, why don't you just package them up as a torrent and distribute them that way? But that's not really the goal, just to get the images distributed. That's not the goal. The, The the larger goal here is to create uh, a community around which people can c- continue to contribute clip art. That's a, a key part of of the appeal of open clip art was that people could submit their stuff and then other people could use them. And it was CC zero, Creative Commons zero license, so you could use it for just anything without, with or without credit. And and that's exciting and. That's kind of what we want, is this community to be able to form around a website offering free images. So my attempt was, while good-intentioned, I don't think it was quite sufficient for what we were looking for. Uh, it would require, really, people to to be savvy with Git, or GitLab at least. It would require them to have a GitLab account and then to submit an artwork. It would really require them to fork the entire repository post an image and then do a pull request it's just a, it's a really clunky it would be a clunky system that i felt would be really difficult to sell to people and then the browsing ability is not great either right you you can sort of search for images and it comes up with some strings if the metadata of the image is correct and if or it, it present rather and and so it, it could work and you know if you were looking for a pumpkin image you could search for pumpkin and as long as the image was either named pumpkin or had metadata containing the word pumpkin, then then you're good. But otherwise, you're not going to come up with that image. So it's it's a little bit clunky, and ultimately, it just wasn't it wasn't the right answer. However, Robert, the the guy whose email I read at the beginning of the show, got into contact with the maintainers of public domain vectors, and apparently, they were keen to sort of fill this 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 sudden gap that had that had come about and fill it they did they created a site called freesvg.org based on the laravel php framework 
which provides them with sort of an admin dashboard for users and user accounts and that sort of thing. And they uploaded a bunch of images. I, I don't know that they have the full 55,000 up yet, or if they are even using that as their source. I'm, I've contacted them, but I'm not super clear on, on what the source of the images has been. But they've got those uploaded, some number uploaded, and they've got search functionality. They're, they're tagging all the images. Uh, they, they've got user creation, user accounts that you can sign up with. And it's all, it's basically all the same stuff. It's Creative Commons licensed, specifically SVG format. The advantage to SVG, or not maybe not obviously, is that it is an open source format. It's an open specification, scalable vector graphics. It's quite popular on, on for, for web stuff, but it's also great for just infinitely scalable graphics that you're designing for posters or green cards. And when I say infinitely scalable, I mean you draw the the artwork that you want to draw, and then you can make that as small or as large. You can make it uh, print crystal clear. Like it'll be perfectly as clear whether you print it on a 32 foot by 32 foot mega poster or you print it on a little greeting card. Doesn't matter because it's all math. The the curves and the lines and the 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 colors, the fills and everything are they're calculated by the computer as the, it is being rendered, rather than, for instance, a bitmap, which is just pixels on 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 a very precise, in, in very exact places. So if you try to up, uh, upscale, up-res pixel art, obviously you have to start adding pixels, because there were only 8 pixels there before, and now you want there to be 32. Well, those 32 pixels have to come from somewhere, and the, the place that they come from is by adding more pixels, which usually a computer does for you because otherwise you would be doing it yourself um, and and it, it tends to degradate things noticeably vector art doesn't have that disadvantage so freesvg.org is the new open clip art i highly recommend kind of um, broadcasting that out letting people know about it it's it's a great resource it's a great resource for everybody i mean whether you're a game designer a teacher a graphic artist a computer programmer who needs a, an icon set for something that they're doing, whatever it might be, this is a fantastic resource. Everything's uh, basically public domain. It's not public domain. It's CC0, which in many countries is the, is is like public domain. So you don't have to credit the artist if you don't if you don't find that convenient. You can modify anything that you find there. You don't have to return your modifications. It's something that you can you can download and you can do whatever you want to with the clip art. It's um, a really great resource for for anyone who needs a little bit of artwork for any purpose. The site is advertisement supported. There are ads on the site. The site uh, uses, I mean, like the ads are, at least right now, obviously I can't guarantee anything for the future. I don't know these people, but um, right now the ads are are sensible ads. In other words, you're on a free SVG site looking at vector images. The ads that show up on the site are from Shutterstock with uh, from their vector division. And I think I've seen other, other companies as well. But in other words, the ads make sense. They're not like sleazy ads that aren't work safe or anything like that. It's, it's stuff that you could look at and you can think, yeah, I can see why that would be on this on this page 
is it enjoyable to see an ad on a page? Well, no, not really. I mean, it's kind of a bother. It gets confusing because you you do a search for, for some image, and then you see your image, and then you see Shutterstock images, and then you see suggested images from the, or related images from elsewhere on the site. So, you know, if you're in a hurry, or if you're not super familiar with the internet, I guess, you might, you might think, oh, well, here's Here's more results, and I like that one on Shutterstock a lot, and you might click that link, and then it takes you off to Shutterstock, where maybe you're expected to pay some amount of money. So that kind of seems confusing that you would have gone to freesvg.org only to go to a place that wants you to create a separate account and then pay for, um, for, for, these, other, for these other images that you found. That could be annoying. But at the same time, it kind of, you know, I mean, it... it it makes sense, right? I mean, these guys put effort into building the the website. They filled a gap uh, for something that that fell over, that that was not able to sustain itself, and they're trying to ensure that that their site can do better, can sustain itself in in some way. Would it be would it be nicer, maybe I don't know, to have a Patreon account so people can voluntarily contribute, blah blah blah? Yeah, maybe, but um, then again, there's no guarantee as to whether they're going to get supporters. So, um, so yeah, ads, ads it is on freesvg.org. Nevertheless, freesvg.org is a great resource. I'm going to be using it a lot. I'm going to be contributing to it a lot. Um, and I encourage you to take a look at it if that's something that you, that you have a need for. So lesson zero was to communicate. If you're a maintainer or if you're a community member, communicate with each other. Let, let each other know what's going on. If you're drowning, make that known. If you have resources that you can contribute, make that known, and so on. No one may help. No may well, no one may take you up on an offer, but at least you've communicated it. Lesson one, I think, is that ownership of, of communal property, of communal content, is really, really important. Um, if the community doesn't own the thing that they are helping to build, then I think that the openness of that thing is is fa- could fairly be questioned um open clip art was called open clip art and and there's that that word in there open and i've i've talked about this this in the past and very recently just that that word open how it, there's an implication to it it means something and yet it doesn't really mean anything exactly so open clip art could could easily be called open because anyone could submit to it could could put art on it and really there was no curation um so it was it was open it wasn't there was an open door policy you create your account you put your artwork on it and that's it there's not really a whole lot um of curation going on there's no barrier to entry there's no qualification you just do the thing and and you're on however the 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 impression that many people were sort of controlling the site the, the governance, I guess, uh, was not open. There, there was no uh, transparency into how the site was run or how the site was being maintained or how it was being kept online at all, where the money was coming from and so on. So that was kind of problematic, and I think that's – I think lesson one would be if you're in a community and you care about the thing that you're contributing to, find out more. Find out what their governance policy is, who, who's in charge, who, who, who could shut the thing down due to a bad day. Especially if you're if you're relying on something for for business and 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 for getting things done, you owe it to yourself to really understand how that thing works. 
which of course is the big argument for open source in the first place, right? We're all we're all sitting here using open source and saying it's great because largely because we we like to know how things work. So if the sites that you're using that you're relying on are sites that you don't really know anything about, you you, you don't have any right to really rely on it at all. And and that's inconvenient because not all sites want you to necessarily be involved. I mean there's no certainly there's there's not really any call for being involved in a, in the website if 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 they're not offering that. So it can be somewhat inconvenient sometimes. Just but I think we need to have the realization that if that if the governance and if the the maintenance of of a resource is not is not itself open and communal then then you cannot justifiably depend on it. And th- the fact that open clip art itself went away and no one had the artwork backed up. I mean, that's kind of that's that's such a, a, a that should have never happened, really. Like, someone should have been making backups of all that artwork, because for the site to go away and everyone to to then have to sort of email each other frantically and and ask, hey, do you do you have that chunk of ten thousand images that I don't have, or that chunk of 90,000 images that I don't have, that's not good. Um, you're, you're obviously throwing all of your eggs into that one basket, and you don't know how the basket is put together. So that's a, an important lesson, I think. And then if I had to come up with another lesson, lesson two would be that if you're in a community that, is, that has formed around some, some something other than the community itself, then you need to ensure that the community has channels by which they can communicate external of the project that it's one of those things that i feel like most of us have learned in a very casual way for instance when you're in school you talk to your friends at school and maybe some friends you also communicate with after school but you know that there's that difference there are your your friends in real life the ones that you 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 hang out with in the neighborhood and then there are your friends who you only see at school. And when you change schools, when you graduate from primary school to junior high school or, or intermediate school or whatever, maybe your your set of friends changes because I mean, unless you're in a small town, in which case it never changes. But let's say that you you that that happens. Some people go to a different district or whatever, so your friends change. And so you know somehow we all know very early on that that there are situations that that kind of encourage or that um, that create friendships. But those friendships aren't necessarily, they're not external of that situation. Um, and, and we see that again at work and so on. You, you know, you just, you see this throughout real life where people are really only sort of available to you under certain circumstances. And the same goes for the online stuff. There are people that you communicate with and you deal with only through one means of communication and then if that means of communication goes away then you suddenly realize just how how unconnected you actually were you feel very connected as long as that resource is there but once it's taken away then suddenly you realize none of you had each other's information you have no idea how to contact one another and then you're kind of all sort of wandering around the internet trying to find some semblance of that nick and is it the same person or is it a different person with the same handle really kind of difficult to figure that out sometimes and and not very efficient so if you're if you're doing a community project 
you don't necessarily have to exchange email addresses, I guess, but at least have some kind of some means by which you can communicate with one another when that service goes down, when it goes away, when someone crazy steps into place and starts doing things that none of you agree with. It's important to have that that ability to well, it's a union really. That that's kind of what I'm talking about. <laughs> Internet users need to unionize. They need to to form groups external to the projects that they're working on. It's it's an important thing that a lot of us don't think about, but but it it needs to happen. It needs to exist. Or you lose your community when when something happens, when something bad happens, and and that can happen. That's it's totally you know. And if you're okay with that, then that's fine too. But if you're not okay with that. Uh, then then make sure that you've got those external channels happening. And that's pretty much what I've learned from the the, the disaster that, that openclipart.org ended up being. Um, but what it built and, and its legacy lives on, and that's at freesvg.org. You should check it out. You should contribute if you're an artist. You should use the art if you need art. It's, it's a, a lot of fun. It's a lot of great stuff created primarily with Inkscape, some probably other tools that generate SVGs, but it, it's a good site, so check it out. That's all I have for you this week. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Listening to the GNU World Order Og Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Og Cast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Oh, <laughs>